holster it off. Yeah. She actually thought you were a BBC man. I'm going up in the boat. <laughs> Twilight is settling all about Armagh. The space observatory is housed behind a former bishop's palace. Its corridors are as long, hollow and deserted as the gathering shadows outside. We have come here with Mickey Birdie to meet John McFarland, who will show us the moon. In so doing, we will attempt to unravel the mystery of Mickey's Uncle Benny. Hello. Hello, John, how are you? I'm Joe McCarty. And this is Michael Birdie. Nice to meet you, John. Who's, 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 oh, yes. who's our star for the evening. Yes, sir. Come in now. And this is Mickey Birdie. You get the smell of the winds there. Nice, isn't it? That uh, house there belonged to a James Rafferty, or as they called around here, Roberty. He was a character. He was a seventh son of a seventh son, with the result that he, they called him the Doctor Rafferty, because he was he was good, I believe, with animals, could stop bleeding and treat animals, you know, that's why they called him the doctor. He was supposed to have these extra healing powers, cures. And uh, James, I often come across, I'll show you the other house in a minute, from my uncles across the fields if there was nobody in the house. And we'd arrive at James's, if it was on a Saturday and the Walton program was on, you'd hear the music inside and come in the door and James would be, fiddling away trying to with, with his own fiddle trying to keep time with the, whatever Cayley band might be on the radio on the Walton program you know he'd take the, he'd leave down the fiddle then when it was finished and he'd he'd look at me and he'd say we were playing a bit do you know what I mean himself and the band but uh, James all, always told me to like but we don't listen enough to old people out the back there they see the back of the house there that was a garden that was a garden out there. He told me that, I don't know whether it was his father or his grandfather, but he found two sherries. That's what they call sherry, like it would be spelled, but that's sherry, I suppose, would be relating again to the Irish. If you're in North Mona now, where there are a lot of sherries, they call them sherries, do you see? And uh, they lived at the back of that hill there. They were dead with a green scum on their lips from eating grass or eating leaves. 
during those yeah. tough times. So, so when your uncle left, the yeah. time, whatever, what age was he when he left? 21. And my mother was three years younger. She went out after him. She was 18. They would have travelled down that road there. There were three of them went in a horse's car, two, two first cousins, Joe McCabe from Lossett's over that country, Eddie Ward in nearer to Carrick from Isle, and himself. There were three first cousins and they left him at the railway station in Bally Bay. Took the train from there then to Derry and it was the California he went on. I suppose when they went away at that time, like it was like the Irish wake, they didn't come back. Well, he didn't come back anyhow for until 1962 from 28. That was uh, 34 years, wasn't it? Mm. He moved on then and he got in with two, I think it was Liberty Aircraft. And after that, I think Republic. And then after that, he got into Grumman Aerospace. And that's where he finished his... And they were the ones then that... Did built, the Apollo. Yes, and, and, and built the landing module. The landing yeah, module, That actually yeah, eventually right. wound up on the moon. On the moon. The names of all the people on the team were left behind on a plaque by the astronauts. And as the fellow said, when you look up from here at the moon, well, you can see there's, there's a Carrick man's name on it. Or a Gordoff man's name, you know. I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. For America, the moon was the ultimate prize of empire. To fulfill his dream, Kennedy would require funding and expertise. By the time Benny Callan returned to visit Cordoff in 1962, he was part of the space program. Now it is time to take longer strides Time for a great new American enterprise. Time for this nation to take a clearly leading role in space achievement, which in many ways may hold the key to our future on Earth. So that, that was it. They probably traveled down that road there, as I said. In a horse and cart. In a horse and cart. And uh, he came home in 1962, and a funny thing was, I was driving him out here to meet the local people that he knew as a young boy and he thought the roads had got narrower. You see, when he left he thought there were highways, but then when he came back he, he was wondering how the roads became so narrow, you see. But it was, that was the uh, conception he had, like, that in, it was a rugged, tough country here to earn a living. The people would say like that, the generation previous to him, they would have had the famine which that would have marked them we'd say like you take that house there with James Rafferty and he was the seventh son of a seventh son but yet he was the only one you know that six more had gone somewhere else there were like Yeats's uh, wasn't it the airman where he said uh, my country was Kiltartan cross my countrymen Kiltartan's poor and no day or change could bring them loss nor victory make the oppressor great because there was, like, they were all, everyone was the same. Nobody had anything. Like. You remember John, we're talking here now with John Golligley, an 
old, as the fella said, a native of Carrick and Grand Maggie, Grand, everything's lovely, yes. Okay, right. Anyway, okay. Do you remember my uncle? You remember him before he went away? Hey, Benny. Benny. I yeah. do, I do, surely. He went back to the. Uh, going to space or something, didn't he? I, he built a module. He was yeah. on, it, on the team that built yeah. it, you know. Uh, way back, yeah. yeah. Mm. Uh, did you ever hear the expression, John? Your brother, Lord of Marshall, James, said it to me. Uh, we were in the chapel one Sunday morning. And this man walked up the aisle mm. and he was home from America. And I don't think he might have been that too long away, but he bought, I think he acquired some property shortly after he came back. Mm. And your brother said to me, uh, he must have caught the bag. Mm. Uh, I said to John, why are we talking about catching the bag? He said, did you never hear that before? Mm. And I said, I didn't. Well, he went to tell me then about somebody went out to America. Yeah. And they weren't too long out there, they see, and it came on a very heavy team of rain. It was late, and he stood in a doorway mm. out of the rain. Up a couple of stories, a hand came out the window and waved to him, and he waved back. And uh, the next thing, the bag landed at his feet, mm. and it was full of money. <laughs> he lifted her and came home. Did you ever hear that? I heard it. I, I know. I, 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 I knew some of his, the people, his brothers, that that happened. Yeah, and yeah. you, did you know them, Michael? I don't know whether I did or not, but James told me it. And if uh, I, uh, he wasn't long in America at all, and he couldn't get job, he couldn't get work, yeah. couldn't get a job. Yeah. And he was walking about. Yeah. He's a kind of a curious class of a fella, yeah. but he was no cotton ways, you know, yeah. no food, but. Uh, there was supposed to be robbers in a place. Yeah, yeah. New York, I think. Yeah. And this bag fell down. Yeah. They threw it out on the window. And uh, they were armed going in, and and then they were they were held up or something, yeah. nearly caught. Ah. And this this fella this fella caught the caught the thing on the street, lifted it and cleared, took it with him. <laughs> it's now got on a train and got away, and his bag of money landed home to Ireland. Ah. Went away to County Mead Aye. and bought a farm of land. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with the money. This man, I mean, what's the cup with this man? Don't mind with the table around. Thank you very much. I'm all right, Maggie. No, you're a cup of tea. George, you're not going to sit there. John had a cup of tea before he came. T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 12. 11, 10, 9, ignition sequence start, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0, all engine running, liftoff, we have a liftoff, 30 goals past the goals, liftoff, on July 16th, 1969, Apollo 11 was launched from the Cape Kennedy Space Center. Attached to the craft was the Eagle module that four days later would attempt a manned moon landing.
But in the district of Cordoff, Benny Callan was not the only man driven to defy gravity. I always knew McMahon flew an aeroplane years ago, they talked about him all right. And it wasn't until, oh, back uh, about 1980, about 87, I was up in Weston one evening and I took a plane down to Newcastle, that's just outside Dublin, and uh, it passed on Leary there, little Astrid about there. And uh, I was talking to these two elderly gentlemen who was in the in the airstrip, the private airfield, and uh, just uh, asked me where I was from. He said, "See, you're from Dublin." Oh, say no, I'm from Carrickmore Cross. And this elderly man says, "Well, see, the man that taught me to fly is from Carrickmore Cross." And says, "I'd only one man to say would have been in Carrickmore Cross that flew was McMahon, Michael Madden, says he. Yeah. <laughs> and he happened to be the town clerk in the courthouse in the. Yeah, the early 40s, or it could be the late 30s or after the war, I'm not too sure, it could be after the war or after. Because Big Man, as the story went then, he told me about Big Man, so you tell me about Big Man. Well, since he come over here to this old hangar and there was a, the bones of an aeroplane in the hangar. Just uh, the wooden fuselage, a wooden, an old, uh, wasn't a biplane, a low, a low wing plane. And uh, see, that's Big Man's plane there. See, it's laying here this year. It's bought bought nest. That's how bad it was. I'd like to see it recorded that for this area here, just over there now, you would have Willie Braden over there. Then over there, another bit, you'd have Mick Marn. And then over there, my uncle. But I'm not saying that my uncle achieved much, but he got on when he hit the ground over there, you know, in the States. But these men never left home. And they would have had primary education then. And then Mick Marn himself, he was a genius, to say, with a thrashing mill. Attended his mill one time there, down there in that field there. At, at the foot of it where, where he was trashing and my job that day was I had a bucket and there's a, a, a little shuck as we call her, a drain there and I had to keep the water carried to it. She was hard on water, to, you know, to, to the tractor. Used, uh, we was interested in flying and when I was a young fella on a Friday week or Saturday morning or Friday evening, he would go up past our house and he would have a very bright suit on him and his hat hanging on the handlebars where you usually hang the flash lamp. And I don't know whether he took the train or took the bus, but he went off up in the direction of Dublin or it could have been Baldonnell or there's another one further down in Kildare, wasn't there? But he flew a plane round here that I believe he built himself. That's what I was told by his nephew. And the, the Carrick Midge, he called it. Blueprint of is that the plane he built? Pat? That's the one. He, I don't know what the make of it was. But. And where did he get the material from? Uh, American pitch pine. And he 
had an awful lot of it in the house that he moved into it in Claw Valley. So he built it with pitch pine <coughs> and canvas, with it? Huh? Yeah. What about the engine then? Where did the engine come from? Oh, I don't know now. You see, he, yeah. Pat was born years after that. Do you know what I mean? Maybe a roller race engine, I think. Yeah. But he was self-educated, wasn't he, Pat? He was, yeah. Mostly. These bits are here this year. Stink of them tonight. So there must have been great excitement when he was flying this. You never got to see a vapor. Right. Yeah. So, so you don't think it ever flew? Well, some of them told me that it did, though. It did, alright, but not officially, was it? Not officially, no. Yeah. yeah. He had it, was that the one he had opened the hair shed? That's the one he had in Cordova. Yeah. In Cordova, yeah. I remember he used to go past our house at the weekend. He was on his way up. Where did he fly? Was it Baldonnell or? Baldonnell and Lutz Corner. And Lutz Corner? Yeah. We got past on the bicycle on the. I think it was a Friday evening. And but he was, a, he was to take me up on a flight several times and he never done it. Never got round to it. You, you had no photograph of himself, Pat? Mm, no, just the plane upstairs there. He got a, an Avery Bulldog for the ground thrashing. Yeah. It was a two cylinder, 13 horsepower tractor. And there were two of them in Ireland altogether. And the first thing he done was to pull it up asunder. Yeah. See how it was put together. And everyone said when they came in and looked at it in the barn and everything got up, it'd never go back together again. <laughs> yeah. And it did. He even uh, improved on it, he put a funnel on it. And the exhaust came up through the radiator. The radiator was a round thing in the very front of it. And the exhaust came up in the very centre. Yeah. And he put a funnel on it to take the smoke away from away. it. Yeah. Well. I have no photographs of that Avery at all, as far as I can see. And there was a, a big... Uh, whistle on it like the train, wasn't That's it? Right, yeah. I remember it. And when they blow that whistle, the pe people would gather in then That's to help, right, yeah. you know, yeah. to the trash, come to the trash and be on the way, they see they give it up. Boop, boop. You see, then you see people arriving with pitchforks on their shoulders or on bicycles, you know, yeah. to, to work at the, in the haggard at the trash. But like you look on it and look at Benny Marn, we'd say, in the context of where he was growing up, like he was a man exceptional, wasn't he? Like he was away into this. He was, yeah. He was at home with the men in the fields during the week, and at the weekend he was away either building, working on a plane, building it, or flying it.
You go to continue power descent. You are go to continue power descent. Roger. Altitude 40,000. Roger, we copy. At the earth, right out our front window. It is not present in their voices, but there is panic on board. Uh, that's affirmative. Program alarm. Looking good to us, over. Landmark checkpoints appear two data. seconds Altitude ahead of schedule. 3,500 feet. Roger, we got you. We're going at alarm. Altitude 4,200. Houston, you're a go for landing, over. Roger, understand. Go for landing. 3,000 feet. They will overshoot the landing site by two miles. 1201. 1201. Roger, 1201 alarm. 2,000 feet. Into the ag. 47 degrees. Roger. 47 degrees. The computer sounds. Eagle looking great. You're go. Roger, 1202. We copy it. 60 seconds. So here you had a man who was flying when there was nobody flying and another man who had electricity and radio in his house built himself, do you know what I mean? And they were all within a mile as the crow flies. And yet, Willie Braden had one of the first receiving sets which he built himself in this country. He built his own wind charger and made his own electricity. And my mother told me how people would go over and stand in his yard or street as we call it here at the front door and the door open and he would bring in results of football matches or affairs we'd say abroad anything Willie was that far on then and over there where Sadie is sitting he had uh, the 12 volt dynamos up on the wall and he had the churn underneath it and a hole in the Dash at the churn. Yes, and the 12 volt dynamo. That was something, wasn't it? It was. Well, tell me, what year did he build the wind charger? Well, he got married in around 1934, didn't he, said he? Yes, he got married in 1934. In around those years, he built it. Mm -hmm. And he was a great friend of Alfie Mitchell's. Himself and Alfie worked at the windmills together. Yeah. And there was a windmill down here at Corvalley uh, where the Reverend Fulton is at the manse. Yeah. And um, I'm not right sure now what happened it, but as far as I know, lightning or something hit that windmill. There was one minister there who was very interested in the windmill yeah. at the manse. He built his own trash mill. He built his own trash mill. It was, uh, it was a very nice machine. Yeah. And he drove it with a little engine. Yeah. And mm. he, did he go out on the country with the No, no. Here, just worked just it. Just for his own yes. private use. That's right. Yeah. Oh, he perfected the traditional mill terrible well. Yeah. Uh, he had it that it had cleaned the corn and he'd shakers and everything in it. It was yeah. a lovely traditional mill. Yeah. Uh, he did a lot of reading. He did a lot of reading and always up until his latter days. Yes. So we've got a lot of knowledge out of the books. At one stage, like there would have been a half a ton of books, and we still have the bookcases and all the books. Yeah. Then he was very interested in the divining. Yeah. So we had numerous books. We still have them on the divining. For divining water. Yes. Yeah. Well, the time Bertie Eakin had the chemist shop alongside Hannah's. I remember it. Yeah. Do you? I do indeed. 
Well, Bertie wanted the father to fix the radios and he'd sell them. Yeah. You see? Yeah. But he didn't go on because he had to stay here on the land. But he was really lost on land. He was, he was a yes. genius. Mm. He was in Carrick and I said, there's a man late in Carrick. And I said, if you lived home, will he? So he had to be witching out of a few parcels to get. He went and he got the parcels and he put them in the car. And I let him off here and he went into the house and he was grand. But when I got home, I had the meat. Oh, I see. I think you were down in Sherbrooke when you got the meat after for me. Right. He, but he remembered he had purchased books mm-hmm. in Dublin that day. What age was he that time when he was going to Dublin well, on the bus? up to four years before he died. Yeah. He was going to Dublin twice a week yeah. and spend a couple of hours in Easton's bookshop. That's right. Mm. And uh, what age was he when he died? John? He was 99. 99 he died on the 12th of April. And if he had to see the 24th of June, he'd have been 99. But the thing I noticed was, I think you remarked to John Tamir, it was you, Sadie, he didn't forget the books. He took the books out of the car, oh, yeah, so but he didn't... left the meat behind. Well, the books would be much more important. That's right. When I came here, he had his bedroom was just from the door around. Yeah. And he had a tele- all the televisions lined up, and he'd be have the transistors out of them, and he'd be working at them all. There you are. So fixing one with the other and yeah. that kind of thing. He was a, a genius. He didn't go into service time no, with anyone, no. or he didn't go to anything like a technical college or anywhere else. And yet he was fit to achieve these things. That's you know, right. When there was nobody around them. No, he only went to the National School in Cavalli. In Cavalli, yeah. yeah. That's all. Mm. But it would have been unreal the amount of books he read. Yeah. I mean, he was interested in everything from installing your own central heating yeah. to having solar heating yeah. to the windmill yeah. to the trashing mill. Mm. I mean, it didn't matter to the radio and the television and the dry battery and he was interested in all that. Yeah. And he had books on everything. That's right. Yeah. Mm. What became of the engine? It all went away. Later years, all went away in the scrap. It was a pity. The pale moon was rising, la 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 la. The moon was new, the sky was blue, la 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 but where were you? The seagull heart of mine was singing, the seagull heart of mine was singing, lover, where can you be? I, I, I had my best days here, and the uh, best days of my life. Like the people I grew up with and the whole activities of the time. Like, you had a wonderful t- place to grow up in and a wonderful life. Do you know what I mean? To look back on it. Do you know? It was simple. And yet, as I said to a fellow one time who asked me, like, a man, he walked into the graveyard one day. I was waiting on a funeral to come out and he says, is there anybody famous buried here? And I said, well, they're all famous in their own way. Do you know, I could have thought of Petey McCartney, who stabbed a salmon 
on a Christmas morning, he was going to Mass and he heard a splashing in the river across the wall and he looked in and there was a £22 salmon. He, he was trapped in the, the river. Do you know what I mean? He, he had run out of water and Petey went back and uh, got his grape or fork and stuck it in him and took him home. But uh, everyone, like, in, in, in the locality, they were famous for something. The same as my friend Willie Braden or Mick Marn or and there was one man like he, he used to preach about how he, he played county football with Monaghan. I don't believe he ever did, but he he was good entertainment too. But he said he was he went out on the pitch. He said and he was feeling that good. He, he jumped up in the air and he came down with a crow. He was limbering up, <laughs> <laughs> and he he said he was he lined out for Monaghan and Croke Park. And he kicked the ball up, he said it never came down under the throw in another. But when they were waiting on the bus, he said in at Nelson's pillar it fell. <laughs> <laughs> like there was humour in it and there was sadness and there was happiness and there was everything. Best days of my life. Forward. Forward. At a hundred feet from the lunar surface, only 60 seconds of fuel remains. Four forward, four forward, drifting to the right a little. Fifty feet, and it is now down to 30 seconds. Contact right. We copy you down, Eagle. Houston, uh... Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Roger, Tranquility. We copy you on the ground. You got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. We're breathing again. Thanks a lot. Roger, we rectify by Columbia. He has landed. Tranquility Base. Eagle is at Tranquility. telescope as the waves fall at the rate of the rotation of the earth. And at Armagh, John McFarland focuses the giant telescope onto the Sea of Tranquility. Yeah, this is your, this is your focus here if you need to just focus. Yeah. I can see a lot of craters on it. I didn't know I went away in uh, 1928. Uh -huh. And he uh, yeah. went away by horse and cart right. to Bally Bay Railway Station. Right. And he went from there to Derry. Right. And he took the liner then to America, so New York. To, to New York, yeah. yeah. Right. And he got some work there. And uh, first, I think. Uh, working on a farm for an order of nuns right. but eventually he wound up with uh, Liberty mm. uh, aircraft that was followed then by a term with I think it was Republic and then he went into Grumman Aerospace or Grumman right. Aerospace right. he was on the team like that built the module for the Apollo 11. Right. 
he was a foreman on it or something. Uh -huh. But his name was left on the moon along with the names of the other mm -hmm. team workers. Uh -huh, yeah. It was left on the moon on a plaque by the astronauts right. when they landed with yeah. the Apollo 11. Apollo 11, right, the first and one, yeah. That's why I'm here, like, to uh -huh. look at the moon. Right, right, sure. Where his name is. Sure, sure. You know. So you, you believe they, they went to the moon okay? What? You believe they went to the moon okay? I do, but I, I don't <laughs> see the plaque. Well, there's a, there's <laughs> a conspiracy very good. No, theory it, around it all, right, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. It's an experience. It's a great experience. Oh, yeah, a great experience. Yeah. Yeah. So, John, what do you, do you believe that that's, uh, they got there? Uh, well, uh, yeah, I think, I think it must have really, you know, I can't really prove it, you know. Yeah, I don't know yeah. how you'd really prove it. But, you yeah. know, I'm sure they wouldn't have gone to all that uh, expense to... For hooks. No, there's nothing there, no. Let me have a look. This one is it? No, sorry, let me have a look here. It's just at the uh, western edge of the Sea of Tranquility. Is that the Sea of Tranquility there? Yeah. Yeah, I have one now. Ah, that's a great one now. I see, like, it, it's very clear, you know. I see, uh, to the right, I see craters, but then moving, this must be the Sea of Tranquility into the left, is it? There are no craters in it, very, very few. So Look in there now, you. I see the darkish color as well. Yeah. You see if I could It's really incredible, isn't it? Out there in the dark. And when you think that they were aiming for a landing site that was 11 miles by 2 miles and uh, did actually manage mm -hmm. to land, yeah. uh, I think that that is extraordinary. Yeah, that is really incredible. Because I mean, all they would have done was, was just the, the simulation stuff, you know, which wouldn't have been anything like preparing them for the, for the landing itself. Yeah. Yeah, the landing site. Apollo 11 is just about the centre yeah. it was. It may have drifted now slightly. Yeah. But, uh, there are some craters much deeper and wider than the others. Well, that, that was not the danger for them if they'd actually yeah. landed in one landed of those craters. Yeah, there's a, a job danger. to get out, John. Yeah, the job to get out. It would have tilted, or could have tilted the, the landing craft uh, yeah. over on the side. Legs. Yeah. The legs over, yeah. And they may not have gone back at all. Yeah. And in fact, uh, I believe that as they were getting out of the aircraft, out of the uh, spacecraft, uh, Neil Armstrong uh, caught uh, something, a piece of clothing or a piece of a uni his uniform on the, uh, the switch. Yeah. And that was a switch yeah. that they would throw to blast off from the surface of the moon. Yeah. And he actually broke the switch. And <laughs> they were wondering how they could get out of this mess. Yeah. And uh, well, fortunately, he was able to use a pen. And put the pen in and threw the switch that way. But uh, that, did was, that, uh, that was very close. Yeah, it was, it? It was a bit hairy. That. Wasn't it? No. <laughs> um, uh, at the foot of the ladder, the lamb footbeds are only uh, uh, depressed in the surface about. Perched on the Sea of Tranquility, the module resembled a robotic insect or something fabricated in a hay shed from cannibalized components. It's 
Considering you know, gravity, uh, you know, famous, uh, famous apple falling yes, to the ground. Falling. So that, that set him thinking about why does the moon orbit the Earth? Yeah. Um, you know, why does not the moon just fall down to the Earth? Or, yeah. But it keeps going uh, at the same distance, more or less, from the Earth. Yeah. So he thought about uh, gravity a lot, and um, when Einstein came along, this is over here, uh, he, he modified Newton's law of gravity. And uh, to the relativistic theory, yeah. uh, where uh, the velocity of light had to be taken into uh, account. Everyone's gone to the moon. Everyone's gone to the moon. Great experience. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for being so helpful and explaining it all. Thank you very much, John. It's a beautiful building. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's the original uh, building there, the original observatory. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Still in use, of course. Okay. Well, so we, we won't hold you up any okay. longer. We're no really problem. very grateful to you for opening up for us. That's no very kind. Good to see you now. Thank you very much. Okay, Probably telling you even forget the, the scent of everything, isn't it? You know, all, yeah. the, all the blossoms yeah. sort of yeah. still lingering in the air. That's right. It's three years, so beautiful aroma. He's a nice person, isn't he? Very, very nice. I'd say a very intelligent man. To yes. Well, I'm glad I came down. It's good to know that there's order, isn't it? Like, like you, after that, you can ask the question, like, who imposes the order or what imposes it, isn't it? And then you wonder then, what is it all about, isn't that right? 